Welcome to Displacement, a podcast journey toward hope, brought to you by St. Ignatius Parish in San Francisco. This week, I ask Maggie and Father Travis, what are they doing to stay grounded and connected to community? Then we have a conversation on the question, how can we be a community of faith at this time? Our theme this week is the displaced among us. And especially in the city of San Francisco, this is an incredibly important issue to examine, but it's present globally when we examine displaced people. The displaced among us are refugees or migrants or temporary workers. And in the Bay Area, it can even be people who are traveling two-hour commutes one way for jobs that are far away from their homes and their families. And this theme is an invitation to examine the way that these people are so near us and the ways that we often, as Christian disciples, don't see them and don't see their need. I'm Maggie Warner. I'm your coordinator of parish worship. My name is Teresa Carino, and I'm the Director of Faith Formation. I am Father Travis Russell, Associate Pastor. So what is one thing that you are doing to stay grounded during this time of physical distancing? I have definitely felt temptation to give in to my obsessive compulsive tendencies so i have been cleaning a lot um so this sounds ridiculous but it's helped me feel grounded to do a deep clean on a couple of cabinets and to lay down fresh contact paper and to organize everything inside that's what i did yesterday morning and I've given in to the temptation of procrastination and haven't cleaned a thing, even though I should. My bedroom's a complete mess. Oh, no. And laundry is stacking up. Um, but instead, I have been trying to make phone calls to people who I normally don't keep in touch with. Uh, I'm terrible about keeping in touch with people. And also, I've been reading. I just finished Know My Name, a memoir by Chanel Miller, and it's about the woman who maybe about five years ago or so was sexually assaulted at Stanford. And it is an amazing, revealing, sometimes haunting book. And it was a great way to put myself in someone else's shoes and recognize just how big of a problem uh, sexual assault is in our country. What was the title and the author on that again, Travis? Know My Name by Chanel Miller. I have a stack of books that I have yet to dive into um, because mostly I've been, aside from working and doing schoolwork, I've been baking. Um, which I am for the first time seeing as like a real art form because I was so scientific about it when I was younger. Like it had to be like an exact measurement. Everything had to be sifted like twice. Um, 
And now I'm like, oh, you can like put feeling into it and like you can feel your way through the ingredients. Um, so like doing things with my hands has been really nice, um, like kneading dough and, and things like that. So that's what I've been working on. So I have been creeping through this book that I've already made you guys listen to me talk about uh, called The Greatest Conversation. And it is about a guy who has, I don't know, I don't quite know. He has a spiritual connection and a relationship and a conversation with a cottonwood tree across the street from his house for 25 years. And it's kind of, it's a little bit like his personal treatise on environmentalism, but it's really, it's really challenged the way that I see the world around me and the way that I use and engage with living things. It's been a really, it's really stretched me for sure. It's a really good book. I need to find who else in our parish is reading it. Maybe they'll message me after this and we can have a book discussion about it. Um, so it's really great to hear all the ways that you all are staying grounded. Um, Maggie, I can't wait to see your apartment and Travis, I can't wait to hear how clean your room will get eventually. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) But what is one way that you're connecting to community at this time? I know both of you are pretty social creatures, so physical distancing must be difficult. I've found the hardest thing is, is not running into people casually. Uh, just a, like, hello, how are you? And um, so just being in community, it's kind of like we're walking on separate sides of the hallway and then just a polite nod with a little hand lift there. To stay connected, I've been trying to talk to people at, dinner um, in the social spaces that we do have, just trying to ask about their day, what are they up to, what's keeping them busy, trying to ask more intentional questions and trying to be a better listener. I agree with Travis in the the casual just running into people piece has been really difficult for me, particularly this weekend, um, singing mass in the church that was empty was, it was a very surreal experience. And the, I was so lonely for our, for our parish family. And so many of us see each other, physically see each other only on the weekend and only on Sundays. So I've been trying to stay connected similarly to what Travis said. Again, just trying to be intentional about reaching out to people that I normally would just see because of my daily routine. So trying to text my classmates that I don't usually see and just thinking, oh, I would normally be having this meeting or I'd be in the office at this time and trying to reach out to people at work that I would see. And I'm using FaceTime more than I ever have. And that also has made a really big difference, being able to see people's faces in addition to hearing their voices. I feel like whenever I have a moment, I try to FaceTime the two of you so I can see your face. And 
Aww. Maggie never answers me. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> it's not intentional. I'm just being needy. <laughs> so my my uh, best friends have come out of JVC. So I did JVC like five, six years ago mm-hmm. in New York City. And we had two houses, the Harlem house and the Brooklyn house. So cool. And it was really cool. So we were like our own individual community. And then we are a, a wider New York City community. So we decided to have a virtual party on Saturday. Um, and a good chunk of us stayed in New York and lived close together and um, for for several years after JVC, but people had moved on to different parts of the country. So during this party, someone commented that it's taken a quarantine for all of us to figure out how to like Zoom at the same time or like connect with each other at the same time, even though we've been physically distant for for a couple of years now. Um, but it was really great. Like <laughs> it's very true to JVC. We started with highs and lows and then uh, like played some like virtual party games and then it went on for a while and then it ended the night like asking like what was the last thing that brought us to tears and like having like really deep conversations. So it was so nice to like recognize that the community bond was still there. Um, and that we could be like playful and vulnerable and like connected. Um, even though we're, we're, apart by like thousands of miles that sounds great it was really sounds really nice yeah it was really healing so maggie in your introduction you really brought home for us this theme of the displaced among us especially here in san francisco and as a people of faith um as catholics as christians we are kind of it's like in our in our DNA as a people of faith to be a community and to be with people. Um, and Pope Francis calls us to, you know, go out onto the margins and to be with people. Yet here we are in social isolation um, and social distancing. So how can we be a community of faith at this time? I've been really struck with the readings this week about blindness and how important seeing is to the spiritual life. Often the faculty of, or the sense of hearing is very much talked about in faith circles, but seeing is important and not that blindness is a deficiency but it is important to see the outside world and that can happen in many ways, not just visual sight. And it strikes me that in this time of social distancing, that perhaps in one way or another, we've been practicing that for a long time and that that's been a problem in the sense that I will speak for myself. I can walk downtown and the displacement in our city is so overwhelming that eventually I become numb to it or I become defeated and think, what's the point? 
or it's just we're inundated it by it so much that eventually we lose some sort of sensitivity. And so one of the ways I think that we have perhaps blinded ourselves is by what I call outsourcing care. It seems in this society, if we need something, um, we don't really have to rely on anybody. Or if it inconveniences us, we can hire it out. And we've done that especially with our needs and how we care with one another or how we care for one another and how we interact. So if someone's sick, well, we can hire a nurse to come in the home. Or if someone needs to be driven to the doctor, well, just order an Uber. These may seem as one act inconsequential, but over time, I think they build and that outsourcing numbs us. It blinds us to the needs of those around us and then in larger society. So I think just practicing that care for one another at home during this time could be an important preparation for when we come out of social distancing or, or be able to interact more in public that we kind of um, train our vision to see anew. Speaking of training our vision, um, this theme, the displaced among us, it just, it hits so deeply in my personal experience living in the Bay Area because I commute every day uh, before we were uh, in shelter in place. I commuted every day and uh, I commuted to school on my bike, which is a much shorter commute here in Berkeley, but I also commute over to San Francisco. And that for me is usually a bike ride and a BART ride and a bus ride. And it's so... San Francisco is the first major metropolitan area that I have ever, ever lived in. So before I wasn't in a place where the displaced or the homeless were so present among us. And so it was really shocking for me when we initially moved here. And now that we've been here for a while and I visited some other cities, it's even more shocking to me to see the way that our economy in the city and in the United States, because certainly the displaced among us are people from the Bay Area who are, who are living from paycheck to paycheck, even people who are working but are unable to have access to housing in our area right now, but also people who have migrated and immigrated to the United States who are trying to make ends meet while supporting family in another place. And it's just really easy in the midst of the grind of daily life and a commute to become blind to those people around us. And one of the things that has been piercing my heart in the theme of the displaced among us is really allowing my heart to be broken for the things that break God's heart and not numbing myself to the people that are around me, even on days when I feel helpless and like I don't know how to contribute, um, having the courage to make eye contact and to treat 
everyone that I see on the street with dignity and with love and to look at them with love because I think seeing and perception, that's the first step in figuring out what to do. That's one of the first steps in discernment. So having the courage to see is one of the big takeaways for me in exploring the the theme of the displaced among us this week. Maggie, I was really struck by that image of, um, of what breaks God's heart. And I recall like in my early theological studies days, back when I was in college, um, uh, I think, I believe it was St. Anselm who said that God is like a mother who so wants her child to walk that she delights even in their stumbles. Wow. Yeah. Just like this loving God who so wants her children to succeed and to flourish And I think of the state of our society right now and just how much that God is hurting and seeing her children hurt. Um, I'm not a mother, but I imagine that mothers seeing their children in pain is a different level of pain than I've ever experienced before. Yeah. One thing that concerns me is that as we try to get back to normal, that we'll continue to overlook people who have already been overlooked. It'll just be that much harder to see them because we will be frantically trying to put the pieces back together again. And perhaps that in this time of displacement, there is a real opportunity to reassemble the jigsaw puzzle and to make it into something that's more visually like the kingdom of Mm. God. And so that there is an opportunity that we're broken now, but when we emerge from this, we have a real possibility to live out our faith. And one of the things that I think will help is being able to, as Christians, put this in the context of our faith tradition. John Sabrino, a Jesuit theologian in El Salvador who lived through the civil war there and witnessed his community killed, said, uh, or has said, or he calls them, the crucified among us, that the people who are displaced, the people who are poor, the people who are marginalized and looked down upon, that they are the crucified among us. And so it gives them not only the dignity of Jesus in that statement, but also a real visual image for us to relate that back to our own faith, seeing that the crucifixion is not something locked in history, but something that continues. And so for the rest of us, as we, again, try to get back to normal, whatever that means, is that it's a real opportunity to take the crucified down from the cross. And that is a very important thing that the disciples did. 
was that they gave Jesus dignity by taking his body off the cross and laying him in a tomb. And even today, there are people who die who don't even have a tomb. Yeah, I think what you guys are really talking about is this conversion that's happening. Um, and I think needs to happen on a personal level, but also um, needs to happen on a societal level. And I think we're kind of in a moment, almost like in a crucible where that that can really occur on a broad scale. We're recording this conversation on the feast day of St. Oscar Romero, who was murdered 40 years ago. And I think about his story often, um, but particularly today and how in his life, early on in his life, he kind of wasn't really concerned about the poor in his country. Um, He was primarily concerned about being a good person and being a good priest and kind of climbing the um, the ladder of the institution, um, as one kind of does when they're in a, in a job, right? Um, like they think about the next step in their professional development. And it wasn't until his friend died that when his friend was murdered, um, that his eyes were really opened to all of the devastation and the death around him and it made it personal for him and in that moment I think God was calling him to really enter into that and to not shy away from it I think of this theologian named Jerome Miller and he talks about the suffering way of the cross and he says that like any death whether that be the death of a child or the end of a relationship, the death of a relationship, um, anything that causes our world to break, this world that we've created for ourselves, um, takes us to the precipice of the abyss of our own nothingness, which is just such a huge image for me. And so often we try to not enter into that. We try to cope. We try to get over it. We try to cling to the past. But um, Jerome Miller is saying to really fall into that. And in falling into that abyss of our own nothingness, we come to find that we are created solely because God loves us, not because of who we are or what physical attributes we may have or what professional accomplishments we did or where we graduated from school we were just created solely out of love and i think in a lot of ways that helps me to understand oscar romero's story that he really recognized that he was created out of love and then he had an obligation a moral obligation to preach love And that's what made him so dangerous because on both sides of the civil war, he was calling for an end to violence and to act out of love. Mm -hmm. It's so Ignatian too, of that we have been given this great gift, this great pearl of great price. And so the only appropriate response is to make a return of love. 
One of the things that John Sabrino also wrote was an essay called No Salvation Outside the Poor, which he got in trouble for, but it's a play on the word of no salvation outside the church, which before a Vatican II church uh, was kind of the mentality. And thank goodness we realized that that isn't necessarily true, that there is salvation outside of the church. And what John Sabrino says in that article is that our salvation is intimately tied to the least. And I just find that a very consoling, a very hopeful message that we've all had this experience when we're at service to those at the least, it's not what we're giving them. It's what we receive as a gift. We receive much more than we give. And that's what I call salvation. It's an encounter with a risen Christ. And we have all know that experience deep down in our heart. And not only that, it just makes good practical sense because we know by uplifting those at the bottom, that that's at the bottom is where most infectious diseases start because of the conditions in which they live. Uh, we know that helping people economically from the bottom is just good economics because people at the bottom don't have the luxury of savings. They have to uh, spend what they have, which injects money into the economy. So not only at a spiritual level does it make sense, but on a practical level, it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. Karl Barth, the great Protestant theologian, the German theologian who helped write the Bartman Declaration, which condemned the, the genocide, the Holocaust that was going on in Germany and spoke out against state and Nazism. And he said that we should always read the newspaper with the Bible in the other hand, but it wasn't to just kind of read the newspaper and then look at the Bible, but we use the Bible to interpret the news that's going on to make our faith concrete. And that's a real challenge during these times. We all can read, we're all access to have access to social media. Not all of us, but many of us, I should say. Um, but I think as a real invitation, as we do read all these news stories, uh, what does the lens, again, as seeing, using the lens of faith, what does it say? What are the modern day parables? I'm thinking about that phrase you just used, what are the modern day parables? Because something that's very true about the way we experience time as modern people is through narrative and commemoration through narrative. So I think that's a really powerful idea of recognizing and telling the stories of um, the parables around us, the modern day parables around us. Can you all think of an example of a modern day parable? One that you're seeing? I was struck by a story I read in the Chronicle uh, a couple of weeks ago, a parishioner sent it, and it was about a man who OD'd while in the front pew of St. Boniface down in the Tenderloin. And 
when they called his sister to tell her what had happened, she started crying. And her response was, I'm just so glad he died in a church and not on the streets. He used to be an altar boy in a Franciscan church and he finally went home. It's not what salvation looks like in our minds, but it's probably truer to the reality of the story in the gospel of Jesus's salvation in the crucifixion. That the crucifixion was messy. It was grotesque. Uh, but it's a salvation in very human form. And I think that's the power of the incarnation. Fully human. Thank you for listening. This has been Displacement, a podcast journey towards hope. Tune in next week as we continue the conversation.